Star Trek Voyager. And Richard Woolsey from Stargate Atlantis. And you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said, individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of science fiction, its essence has become crucial to our salvation if we are to be saved at all. Live long and prosper. Bad feeling about this. Tired of turning away from the things that I want to believe in. This is going to get pretty interesting. Define interesting. Oh God, oh God, we're all going to die? Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. Did I fall asleep? For a little while. You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. And now, from the end of the universe, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows, here are your hosts. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott. Hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And Miles is fresh from the beaches of Cancun. And I wasn't in a beach a lot. You weren't? I you was. Were. You were, yes, oh, yeah. yes, yes. Got some good a- body surfing in. Uh, yes, yes, some good body surfing and mm-hmm. uh, and some other things. It was awesome, awesome. You're quite red. Yeah, I did get a, I mean, I did get a little sunburn when I was yes. out there. That's the, uh, that's the luck of being a, a what? The Irish? Scottish? The, I, all the above. All the above. It's the and, luck of and that. Nordic and, uh, and Nordic. And Nordic. Uh, yeah. You don't tan. You just burn. Right. I did use sunscreen, but... Um, burn, baby, burn. The, all right. The I summer sun in Mexico is, is really hot. hot. It's yes. been, it is, and you came back to more heat. Where we're at in the country, it is hot here. What up, what's up with that? I don't know. I don't know. You brought it back with you. I, bl- I, I blame I, Miles. It's my fault. It is. It is indeed his fault. Totally. The heat wave followed me. Uh, yeah. Well, anyways, on tonight's agenda, we don't have a lot of show news tonight, but we have on tonight's agenda... Uh, just a couple of things. We have, we're, we have an interview with Michael from NeoFX. And if you don't know who he is, if you watched Star Trek fan films, there's a good chance you've seen his work because he's kind of into all of it. Yes. Uh, he, he's – I don't want to say he's an up-and-comer, but like he, he's going to say in the interview, you're going to have to start doing some free stuff for a little while get your name out there. Yeah. Uh, and I imagine there's some sort of payback somewhere along the way that he gets some sort of – Compensation I, for you, it. you would think, and 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 I think at the through same the time through the donations and stuff like that of fans. Yeah. Anyways, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. That's on our agenda tonight. We're gonna we did a really brief interview just a second ago with a guy that uh, is promoting his movie Fissure. So if you haven't seen it or heard about it, we'll have links on the on the site. You can we'll talk about it in just a little bit. And that's it. Next week, we're going to have the second part of the interview with Michael because it ended up being an hour interview. It was a great interview. We all loved right. it, mm-hmm. but and we aren't going to bring it to you all at once. And that's about it. Okay. So trivia. That's right. We had a trivia question, and we had winners this week. We did. And they were going for what, Miles? They were going for a nice autographed picture of Vanessa Angel. Oh, yes. And uh, I would love to keep this picture. Actually, I have one anyways. But uh, it's awesome. She's in her Stargate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say Star Trek. Our Stargate. Uh, costume mm-hmm. and it's great. So if you are a Stargate watcher, this is a print you want to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, three people answered it, uh, but let's give the question. Go ahead. We asked last week um, during the um, the GI Joe animated series that was back in the eighties, and you, you remember those public service announcements they always always do for these kid shows. Well, there was some there was a tagline that was said every time, and it was pretty much said exactly the same way. And my question was, what was the tagline? And the answer was. Go ahead. Um, now we know, and knowing is half the battle. Right, and that was the uh, that whole the whole theme. The, the moral of the story is, uh, and we had three people answer that question correctly. And kudos to everyone else that also answered the question. We had a couple other answers to that, but the, but the that was the correct answer that we were looking for. Mm-hmm. And um, and of the three, Eric won. Yeah. So congratulations, congratulations Eric. Eric. Uh, we will be uh, contacting you through Twitter. I believe is where I came through, and uh, we'll be finding out your address. By the way, this is one of the things. If you do answer the trivia in the show, if you can send us with your answer, your address, 
it'll make it easier for us to send out the prize when we announce it. Otherwise, it's not a real big deal when we go back to find you. But if you really want your prize sooner rather than later, send the address. Our trivia question for this week is another G.I. Joe one, right? Since uh, G.I. Joe is in the news, it just came out. Uh, question for you this week. Uh, uh, what year did the first G.I. Joe action figure come out? Ooh, I have no clue. So I have no clue at all. And do and you, and you know this, Miles? I do. Off the top of your head? I had to do a little research. A little bit of research. But mm-hmm. hey, it, it, not, a big, not a big issue with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyways, if you want to answer that question, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can call into our toll-free phone number at one 508 Did I put enough eights in there? one 508 You can email us at zogpod, Z-O-G-P-O-D, at gmail.com or contact myself, Herzog, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G, on Twitter. Or Miles, they can contact you on Twitter as well. Yes, uh, at Son of Warf at Twitter. Yep, and uh, that's about it. Mm-hmm. Let's. Uh, we'll be right back after the break with some news. If you go to Zahatun, you will die. If you go to www.babylonpodcast.com, you will find the only podcast dedicated to Babylon Five. You will hear in-depth commentary insightful interviews, and unexpected surprises. The Babylon Podcast, our last best hope for B5 fans. The news tonight, we have a ton of different news. We're going to be, again, trying to keep this uh, fairly short. We have a small uh, eight-minute interview at the end that we do with a guy from Fisher, as, we're gonna, as we mentioned earlier on the show. I guess to start off, let's start with some sci-fi TV. Fox executives are promising that they will leave Dollhouse alone. Yeah, right. We'll believe it when we see it. Yeah. But uh, they're saying they're giving Joss Whedon full reign here, and uh, we hope that is true. Yes, they need to let him just create, to write, to let him do what he does best. Here's the thing, Miles. Although we did agree that Fox saying, eh, we don't like this pilot may have been a good call. Right. So, I mean, Fox is Fox does have an idea what they're doing sometimes. I'm probably going to get hate mail for saying that. Mm-hmm. But uh, we also have a lot of faith in Joss Whedon and what he's doing in the show. So I think it's, I think that's the other thing that we're hoping that happens here. So they're all they're saying that episode thirteen, the Fable thirteen or Epitaph one, as they call it, uh, is going to influence the show, even though Fox has no current plans to air it. So, so the arc they're going to be heading there, mm-hmm. uh, and new uh, viewers will not be left out. Our viewers that did not buy the DVD set won't be left out. He's is what he's saying, but uh, at this point, no plans to air it. Interesting. That's what they're saying. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, regarding the DVDs, estimated sales have been through the roof. Uh, they're saying that Dollhouse has they've they've sold uh, sixty two thousand units, sixty two thousand units plus in its first week of release sales, first week alone, uh, earning close to two million dollars. Maybe that's one of the motivations for Fox to let Joss. Just well, they, they should. That's all I'm does. saying. They should. Mm-hmm. They should. That they should have with Firefly also, but maybe they learned from their mistake. In other news, Miles? Well, well, ABC announces V will debut in November. Uh, you can could, you could look for more information on, on uh, SciFiWire.com. Um, and we'll have the link in the show notes, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fringe will be out then, too. So uh, November, we'll have It's that. kind of late late release date. You know, fall shows normally September, you October think, at the right. latest. But here we have two November dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fringe, of course, just kind of thrown in there. But let's talk about V a little bit. What can we expect from V in November? I mean, they they did air the pilot at Comic Con, right? And which received quite well. Yeah. So, but uh, they're still tweaking it. They're saying, and what can we expect from this? Well, according to them, uh, the cast and creators of uh, of ABC's upcoming V announced Saturday that the show would uh, premiere Tuesday, uh, November third at eight p.m. in a news conference at the Television Critics Association Summer Press Store in Pasadena, California. Um, morning, maybe some spoilers ahead. Executive producer Jeffrey Bell also promised that star Marina Baccarin, who plays uh, alien leader Anna, will indeed eat a rodent of some kind. Woohoo! So that's, that's sort of iconic. In, uh, oh, yeah, it is. It is a scene that got everyone talking about V in the early 80s. Right, exactly. I mean, I remember in high school uh, that that was, you know, 
that she actually ate a mouse. I know. Yeah. Woo! Uh, we want to find a way to do it, Bell said, but add that if the producer simply du- duplicated the scene from the original miniseries, uh, been there, done that, he added that the new show will feature homages to other iconic moments from the original miniseries. Executive producer Scott Peters added that the producers were exploring a way to bring some of the original actors into the show, though not necessarily playing the same characters. So, so I again, we're still looking forward to the show, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, it's going to be in my TiVo. It'll, it'll be on my DVR. So, um, I mean, I was a big fan of the, the original. Ever when I saw this, uh, this looks like it'll be good. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Marina Baccarin, so uh, can't wait. No, it's good. It 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 has. The makings of being good. Mm-hmm. And some Stargate news. Uh, we find out this week that Stargate Universe is going to be October 2nd, I believe we said the release date for that was. We'll have 30 webisodes, which is something that's happening with a lot of sci-fi shows now. are putting out webisodes to go along with what's going on. I know Heroes did it, and I know that Battlestar did it. Yep. And many other series have done this to kind of accentuate what's going on in the show itself. Uh, basically... These webisodes are going to focus on a sphere that's on this ship that they're stuck on called Kino. I think I'm pronouncing it right. That independently hovers around the ancient ship Destiny, the ship that they're stuck on, spying on the crew. It kind of flies around and spies on people, says co-creator Bad Wright. And they're literally just kind of voyeuristic scenes that we're shooting specifically for the web. It's a way to get a window in on the program and give fans a slice of life look at the ship. Uh, it's also the technology that we'll be using to send through the Stargate to look at new worlds. Mm-hmm. So where we had the Mount probe in the uh, early Stargate universe, we now have the Kino probe or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Whatever. So I assume these webisodes will take place before the show premieres? Uh, unknown. unknown. Uh, probably, I'm, probably in tandem, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. because they don't want to be giving away. They haven't even arrived in the ship yet. Right. So okay. it, it, until the first episode where that happens... Aren't going to be doing it. Another piece of news, Guild Season 3 is about to begin. I believe it is August 28th is the date for that release. They also just released their latest video. If you follow the Guild, uh, Guild is a web series, of course, geared toward gamers and geek culture. Uh, and I, my wife and I were actually watching it last night, and she found it hysterical. Hmm. So, And she's not even a gamer. But, uh, but they released a video called Do You Want to Date My Avatar? Do you want to date my avatar? And uh, it's absolutely hilarious. Cool. And it kind of plays into the whole idea of uh, surrogates, where you have this you know false self that goes out there, and the idea that online we create these false realities of ourselves, and in games, especially like massively multiplayer games, we create this identity of who we are, but it's not really who we are. It's a representation of someone we would either A, like to be, or the way we like to be perceived. Mm-hmm. And so the idea, do you want to date my avatar? Because my avatar is much better looking than us in real life and mm-hmm. who we really are. and uh, Interesting look. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek music video. Okay. Uh, it was available briefly on YouTube <laughs> today till it was taken down because it was just released yesterday and Microsoft owns the rights to it for at least a week. So it'll be out next week for everyone else who wants to get it. But, mm-hmm. but that's, that's that. And I believe that's it for our TV news, right? That is it for TV. Well, let's move on into some uh, movie news. We have the Star Trek Minute with Miles. Okay. Last week I had mentioned that um, that uh, Zoe Saldana had, had said that the uh, writers have the script for Star Trek 12 almost halfway done. Um, well, we saw something confirming that is not the case. Um, the writers basically said that uh, she may have been a little too exuberant uh, at the time. Um, they have some ideas of what they want to do, but they don't have any kind of story fleshed out yet. It's just they're going to do some old, try to do some more homages to the original series as far as maybe a certain character's catchphrase and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, but no, the, the script is not halfway done by any means. All right. Well. But I, no fear. I mean, I'm sure they'll have something soon. Oh, it'll get done. Yeah. It'll get done. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about Viewmaster, the movie. Okay. <laughs> now, when I first heard this, I, I, did you did you have a Viewmaster? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you clicked it, and the little wheel turned around, mm-hmm. and you got to see your story. Uh, 
phenomenal little pieces of equipment. Mm-hmm. They're making a movie off of this. Now, it's easy to kind of look at it and say, that's going to be a great movie. Sounds like a sci-fi original. But uh, what could make this movie work, in theory? Because we don't know many details about it. It's an early in its development. I, it would have to be a, maybe like a quirky comedy. Okay. I would, I would, I would think. I mean, uh, something that's not to be taken too, too seriously, I would, I would think. Or if it's a story where they kind of... Uh, Characters are caught in a viewmaster, and every time the scene shifts, you're in a new scene. That, 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 that's another way. It could that's work. another way you could do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, but anyway, it, it has to be. You can't take something like this seriously. You're right. It maybe has to be a sci-fi comedy. Yeah. I, I don't even know why it's in sci-fi, but it, it's a. It doesn't have to be a sci-fi movie, but maybe the idea, if they are caught in that, is kind of sci-fi-ish right, or I mean, fantasy. The, the whole viewmaster thing. I mean, it, they had. It ran the gambit as far as what what I mean. It, it, it did contain sci-fi, but also contained kids' stories, lots of kids' stuff. Yeah, exactly. So you mastered the movie coming to a theater near you. But I'll probably be. I mean, for those of us who grew up and when Viewmasters were around, it'll be kind of uh, nostalgic to see the whole Viewmaster thing. They're taking all sorts of Saturday toys and making them into movies. Why not? You master. Speak what? and spell. Let's do speak and spell. The movie. Speak and spell the movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Something nice. like that will happen. Anyways. So it could work. G.I. Joe did extremely well, didn't it, Miles? Absolutely. It, um, it, it shined the box office. Uh, it's it's still the number one weekend box office spot, and set a couple of records after pulling roughly $100.2 million worldwide. Um, $56.2 million in the U.S. and uh, then an estimated $44 million internationally. Uh, internationally, G.I. Joe, the Rise of Cobra outperformed Star Trek in its opening weekend. Uh, Star Trek raked in 35, mi- 35 million, while G.I. Joe scored 44 million. The places uh, G.I. Joe uh, Rise of Cobra as the 66th highest opening weekend grocer of all time in the, in the U.S. based on early figures. Once the, the final figures are in, it could also end up in the top 50 openers worldwide of all time. So this is good. Good stuff for G.I. Joe. Right, I mean, it's it's. This is a summer for, for movies. Right, right, or for records in movies. Breaking, yeah, exactly. I think they said records. it's the, uh, and I think they go on to say that it's the third highest opener in August, mm-hmm. or maybe the fourth uh, highest opener in August. Don't, don't they say that down there later on? But they're talking about um, Born Automatum was number one, and then Rush Hour two, and then Signs. And the night and night Shellman movie. Mm-hmm. Then of course it's so that's a pretty good crew to be up there with. Oh, there was, there, those are some good movies. And, and because of that, um, there's already plans for the sequel. It's surprise, shock, shock. Well, you know, we have a lot of movies that spurn sequels this summer. Mm-hmm. You know, from uh, Wolverine, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, to Star Trek, to Rise of the Cobra, and um, uh, Terminator. You're going to see that. Uh, both there's two movies in development there. Yeah. We're going to see later on, um, but yeah, right, talking about Wolverine, Hugh Jackman confirmed that Wolverine uh, sequel is underway. We we joked about where can you go with a sequel uh, because they kind of take the story up to now. Did you see Wolverine? I have not seen it yet. I have, but people that I've talked to have, have said that it takes the story up to the beginning of X Men. Okay, so where do you go? Well, where you go is you take Wolverine to Japan. Okay. Because this is uh, one of the... Uh, there was a comic series that came out mid-80s, mid-80s I believe, um, that's going to follow the 1982 Chris Claremont and Frank Miller four-issue miniseries of Wolverine that takes him to Japan. Uh, and he kind of learns all his uh, martial arts in, during that time and so on. So that's a possible direction to take it. Uh, I don't know if it'll be any good or not, but it earned enough money to kind of place a... Uh, give it a sequel. Well, I, I, I still plan on seeing the, the, this, the, the current one. When it comes out on DVD, I'll yeah. see it too because I haven't seen it. I've only heard people talk about it. Yeah, same so. here. Uh, well, we talked about uh, sequels and Terminator. Uh, there is a confirmed uh, Terminator 5 in development. Uh, Mick G has not only confirmed Terminator 5 is being worked on, but it, uh, so is the third uh, movie in the trilogy, uh, Terminator 6. Terminator 5 will go back to the grassroots of time travel running from a new kind of Terminator. So we have another Terminator in the works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I thought they would stay in the current, pre, you know, post-apocalyptic Earth thing. So, 
to talk about going to its grassroots. So I'll be curious what they do with that. Yeah, man. I, I kind of like the post-apocalyptic Earth thing. Again, yeah, we talked too. about this before that we kind of like that genre of film. Right. So I'm going to be sad to see them not doing it. But it's a Terminator film. We'll watch it. Oh, of course. Yeah. Even though uh, Cameron is no longer uh, helming it. but It's too bad. I, th- I think he, he did a good job with uh, the did. first two movies. He did. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Let's move on into some DVDs. Okay. We have uh, two DVDs. One we're going to actually talk about, interview the producer and director of Fissure in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, why don't we talk about the other notable release this week? Well, uh, Starman is coming out um, with Jeff Bridges, Karen Allen, Charles Martin Smith, and Richard uh, J. Kale. Um, while the most movie buffs are likely call uh, Halloween the best movie from uh, John Carpenter, others, uh, diehard romantics, and anyone who cried while watching E.T. might vote in the favor of the director's 84 hit uh, Starman. It's easily Carpenter's warmest and most beguiling film, and not only one that ever earned an Oscar nomination. The honor went specifically to Best Actor nominee Jeff Bridges for his performance as an alien, alien visitor to Earth who is knocked off course and must take an interstate uh, road trip to rendezvous with a mothership from his home planet. To complete this journey, he assumes a physical form of the dead husband of Wisconsin widow Karen Allen, who responds first with fear, then sympathy, and finally love. Yeah, Carp- so this is a, uh, this is a pretty... Uh, this is a pretty big film for the time. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, and Jeff Bridges, of course, is still acting. Iron mm-hmm. Man 2. Mm-hmm. Iron Man 1, excuse me, he was in. Right. He was killed during that one, right? Yeah. They, we won't see him reoccurring yeah. in Iron Man 2. I, I seriously doubt yeah. it. Back from the dead. We now have zombie Iron Man. No. Um, it's, uh, you know, it. And you saw this, right? I, I did. I saw it in theaters. Uh, when, oh, you saw you know, it in theaters. Yeah, right. I saw it in video. Uh, I liked it. Um, it was a. Uh, Nice feel good movie, but uh, yeah, and it wasn't. This wasn't a high action. This was uh, again feel mo- feel good kind of a love interest type thing, right? Kind of character driven. I mean, it was you know the, the interaction between you know Bridges and Allen. Um, I mean, yes, he he was the alien, but it was um, and him learning Earth customs and all that. And so there's some some good humor humorous elements oh, absolutely. there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And best yet, this is the release. This is Blu-ray release, mm-hmm. if we didn't say that earlier. And uh, this is available for 20 bucks. That's a good price for Blu-ray. That is a very good price. Because you're, you're seeing them about 30 So 20 bucks, you can own this classic John Carpenter flick uh, on Blu-ray. Good deal. In a moment here, we're gonna, you're going to hear an interview with Russ Pond, the director, producer, and editor of Fisher, the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, Really short. It wasn't really an interview. It was more or less, hey, tell us about this DVD release that we're going to be experiencing. Because this is a movie that is being released. There are some episodes posted online, which you can visit at Fisher.tv. But a psychological sci-fi thriller that he's producing comparable to Sixth Sense. So, yeah, it looks interesting. I might check yeah, it out. Yeah, I may. Uh, I definitely want to check out the online content. I watched a little bit of it, but you get a chance to investigate it thoroughly. And it might go on my Netflix list. Hmm. So, but, uh, so here's that short little interview that we did hello this is russ hey russ how you doing hey with me tonight is uh, miles he's my co-host hi russ okay. hey how are you miles fine thank you so you can kind of uh start where i guess tell us a little bit about the movie since uh, a short synopsis of what what this movie is about and how it fits into the whole sci-fi genre sure um Fisher is kind of a it's a little bit of a mixture of genres it's kind of a cop drama, whodunit, mystery, with a bit of a psychological thriller-esque-ness about it. You know, it's a, it's a fun story. It's actually, you know, a lot of people that have seen it have compared it to The Sixth Sense. And, uh, you know, part of The Sixth Sense is that you're watching this show and you're trying to figure out what's going on and you think you've got it all figured out and then all of a sudden right towards the end of the movie there's a huge twist. And that's kind of the way it is with Fisher, is that we, you know, we there's actually a little bit more mystery to it. You know, he's he's a cop trying to solve a murder. Um, and, you know, throughout the whole movie, we have tons and tons of clues, visual clues, audible clues, coloring clues, um, props and dialogue and all these things that try to, you know, give away what's going on, but uh, it's what makes it kind of a fun film, a very engaging film. You've got to pay attention and follow the story. Now, uh, what is your role in the movie? I am the producer, the director, and I ended up editing the film as well. Okay, wow. So a man of many hats. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, who are some of the uh, actors that you had on board with this uh, project as well? Sure. We had uh, our lead actor is a, is a great actor out of Los Angeles. His name is James McDonald. And, you know, he has played, he's played a lot of cops, a lot of detectives, a lot of military people. And uh, he just did a phenomenal job on this project. I mean, we also here locally, we had Scarlett McAllister that played his wife. We had Crystal Monticon who played the grad student who was in Prison Break, and she's also in Terrence, Malick, Terrence Malick's new film, Tree of Life. She plays Brad Pitt's uh, wife in that film. Um, and then quite a few local actors that just did a great job. Yeah, I was going through the cast list, and it seemed that it seemed like there were a bunch of them that have done a little bit here in Prison Break here, here, here off and on. So it was kind of cool to see that. So you have some, yeah. you have some uh, pretty good talent behind the film as well. Then, yeah, I was really happy with the talent. I mean, we, you know, it's just like here in Texas, a lot of people don't really understand that. You know, we have a pretty good base of crew. We have a pretty good talent pool that we can tap into. And, you know, I was really pleased with everyone's performance. You know, it comes across realistic. I mean, everyone delivered, you know, a great performance. And so I was very happy with the way, you know, the way the performances played out in the film. Mm. Now, how, so how's this going to play out on the actual DVD? I mean, what are, we, what, what are we to expect when we pick up the DVD or we buy the DVD from Amazon or from Best Buy or something like that? Well, the DVD, I mean, it's a full-length feature film, so it runs right about an hour and a half. Um, what was interesting is because, as I said earlier, there's lots of clues, lots of mystery, lots of things to figure out. You know, there's a few special features on the DVD that we actually take you not only behind the scenes of the production, but also kind of behind the scenes of the actual story. You know, there's uh, commentary, for example, I take you room by room and take you through each and every little situation and point out the clues so that you can kind of follow it along and, and figure it out as you go. So the DVD is pretty packed with lots of, you know, lots of great information, a lot of behind the scenes. Uh, we even have a little snippet called uh, Secrets of the Fissure House, where I, the director, take you through each and every room in the house and tell you what's going on. Now, uh, just uh, a few other questions here. The name Fissure, where does it, where did, how, did, how did the movie kind of come up with that name then? Well, <laughs> I kind of joke about it because when I got the script Fissure, I actually had to go look up what the word meant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I had to go look it up. But basically, you know, it comes from kind of a descriptive term, um, like in earthquake, there's a fissure in the ground, or... When you break something, there's a fissure. And what it means, it just means like kind of a crack in something. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people ask, people ask us, what does fissure mean? You know, is it, a, is it a break in his mind? Is it a break in reality? Is it a break in, um, you know, something else? And, uh, you know, what's interesting is, and we got this early on from our script consultant, is that we use that word fissure quite a few times in the movie. But if I told you what it was, then you'd know what the twist was, and it'd be no right, fun. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, you know, and you can tell that there's a, a breaking or a, a fracturing or something just from watching the trailer, if you see the trailer of it, so. Yeah, correct, yeah. Right. Well, where can they, um, I know we mentioned, like, Amazon. Where else can they pick up, Where can our listeners pick up this DVD if they want to buy it and support you well, guys? The three three main places right now is we have it on Netflix, and so you, for those Netflix people, you can go out and put it in your queue and get it today. We also have it on Blockbuster Online, so um, we're still working to get it in the Blockbuster stores, but if you have um, Blockbuster Online, you can go get it there. We have it on Amazon.com, so if you go to Amazon and search Fissure, you'll find the movie. We also have it on our website at fissure.tv. If you go to www.fissure.tv, um, you can actually watch the first 35 minutes of the movie online for free. And from there, you can also purchase the DVD and also watch behind-the-scenes clips from 
from the movie, where we interviewed James McDonald and Crystal Mockingcon and myself and some other people. Oh, well, very cool. So, so they can even get a preview of the movie before they actually pick it up. True, right. I mean, that's one of the things about the movie is, you know, it's, it's a very engaging movie. And so we give you the first 35 minutes to kind of get you hooked, see if you can figure out what's going on, and, uh, you know, kind of keep you engaged and keep the, keep the mystery going. All right. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much for spending a few minutes here just talking about your movie. And it was released today, right? That's correct. Today, Tuesday, August 11th, was uh, an exciting day for us because it's been about two and a half years of work in the progress. You know, it's been a long time, and uh, we're very excited. Today's a a great day, and we hope that, you know, all your listeners will go out and, you know, if anything, watch the movie online at at Fissure.tv. Take a look at it. We think we think you'll be hurt. And uh, from there, you give you a chance to watch the DVD and watch the movie all the way through. Yeah. Well, well thanks a lot, uh, Russ. We really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us talking to us about the DVD. Sure. Well, thank you guys for uh, asking the questions and uh, having me on the show. I really appreciate that. All right. Well, maybe uh, sometime in the future there will be another project we can get you on with. <laughs> Great. Well, all right. Take care. Good night, Russ. Bye. So if you get a chance, make sure you check out Fisher. Uh, Fisher, Fisher. I just like saying that word. Hmm. Say it five times real fast. No, I may say something I might not want to say. Fisher, 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 Fisher. It sounds like Fisher when I say it. Um, anyways, if you want to find out more about uh, these movies, you can obviously visit our website, uh, sci-fi-diner.com. You can order both these movies if you want to buy them from our, our store, mysci-fi-store.com. And a uh, great way to support these artists uh, and these actors by buying their movies and obviously support us. Right. Uh, because if you buy through the store, we get some uh, kickback from that, and that's always very, very cool. And you, as the customer, will get some savings. Uh, typically, you will save money by uh, buying these movies off Amazon. Absolutely. Well, let's just do a, some real brief snippet of book news. I don't want to do this too long. Um, we have a Hitchhiker book coming out, a sixth one. And for those of you that saw it, Douglas Adams was dead. He really is dead. Mm. This is being written by... Ian Coffer, whose Artemis Fowl series have sold nearly 20 million copies, so he's a notable author. He's written quite a bit. The question is, can he capture the Douglas Adams feel and style? And that's what everyone's waiting for when the book's released in October. We're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. You never read the series, Miles, no, right? No, I have not. But will, uh, you, will you be getting this book when it comes out? I will probably be getting this book. If not uh, in hard copy, maybe my Kindle version, mm-hmm. or uh, I'll probably Kindle it. Okay. Uh, I'll Kindle it. Uh, I'm making Kindle a verb now. Hey, let's go Kindle it. it, it Whatever. It's, it's, I'm sure. Sign of the times. It's happening. Sign of the times, yeah. But, uh, so that's coming out. So if you're a Hitchhiker's fan, let us know what you think of that. What do you think about someone else picking up a dead man's work, especially something as notable as the answer to everything in the universe, 42. So, so is, is this person committing blasphemy for taking up the torch? Yeah. To... Yeah. That's, it's a, that's a hard call. Mm-hmm. Uh, authors have done it. But, you know, is it something that you want to touch or not touch? Uh, Hearn, Hearn kind of uh, Twittered me and asked me to talk about the Wheel of Time series, a fantasy series where the author had planned on releasing 12 books in the series and uh, ended up um, dying in a, after his 11th book. And so oh. there's a new author coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know much about the series. So if you would like to talk about your thoughts on the new author picking up the series, I believe there are three more books planned, believe it or not. So they're splitting book 12 into three. And uh, let us know what you think about the Wheel of Time series, and uh, and we'll play it on the show and maybe talk about it. And I want to do a little bit more research on it. And I have not read the Wheel of Time series, and you have not, right? Uh, no. Just, no. I'm very limited in my fantasy reading. I read uh, a lot of Star Wars novels. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like some – I read some Stackpole uh, fantasy and uh, Tolkien, obviously, and um, – Terry Brooks, most of our big fantasy read, reads. Uh, so Wheel of Times have not gotten into, so I probably should maybe delve into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know they have an audiobook. That's where I should really delve into it. And you're actually reading a really good audiobook right now. Hell yeah. Um, for my trip, so I have something to listen to on the airplane. I, I uh, got off iTunes uh, 
the, the Star Trek uh, novel uh, on audiobook. So. Yeah, that's by Alan Dean Foster, but Alan, read by Zachary Quinto. Yeah, Spock himself. So, so um, and it's, it's it's really good so far. It's eight hours long. So. Right. Um, for me, that's, I, I like the fact there's a lot of content, so yeah. this will keep me busy for a while. Right. So you feel like you're getting your bang for your buck. Yeah. Definitely with that mm-hmm. one. All right. Well, uh, that's about it. Let's move after the break. We'll be moving into our interview. You know what the first rule of flying is? Above. You're listening to The Signal. Well, we hope you are. We're back with Season 5. Shiny. Must be bad guys. Could be bumpy. And this year, we're going further than we ever have before to bring you the best articles, interviews, news, and reviews from in and around the world of Joss Whedon's Firefly and Serenity. I love this ship. I have from the first moment I saw it. What you care about is the ships, and mine's the nicest. It's love, in point of fact. She loves this ship. If you love Firefly, you need to listen to The Signal. With new writers, new ideas, new content. And loads of your favorite regular segments. Helping to keep Firefly and Serenity alive in the hearts of browncoats everywhere. You hold. Hold till I get back. Hell with this. I'm gonna live. The Signal. Still flying in 2009. Join us at www.serenityfirefly.com. We're still flying. That's not much. It's enough. The Signal. Season 5. What was that? Welcome back after the break. We have a wonderful interview lined up with you, and this is with Michael from NeoFX, mm-hmm. an effects company that has done uh, effects uh, animation for many, many movies, and especially in the realm of fan films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a real pleasure talking to him. We talked. We said, oh, we have a half an hour interview, and he talked for over an hour. So we're splitting this interview into two parts. You're getting part one this week, part two next. But he's done some notable work. Where have we seen him before? Right. If you uh, have followed any of the uh, Star Trek fan films that are on the internet, uh, he he has done um, he has done all the, all the animation for Star Trek Starship Farragut, and also he contributed to uh, uh, some of the work done on uh, Star Trek of Gods and Men. Yeah, and so and if you did not listen to our fan film episode, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. And uh, where we interviewed John Broughton from Farragut Films. We, but we also talked about a lot of these other films and introduced them and gave you an idea of what's out there in the Star Trek fan films. Well, this guy has contributed a lot to these films. And uh, most currently, he's working on the animated series, the third installment, which will be released later this month. Mm-hmm. So works. it was a good interview. Why yeah. don't we get into it? Let's listen in. Let's listen in, and uh, we'll see you on the flip side. You know Captain Carter and the crew of the USS Farragut. But you have never seen them like this. After 35 years, animated Star Trek is back. Neo Effects and Farragut Films present... Starship Farragut, the animated episodes. Damn the torpedoes. Warp speed ahead. This is Michael. Hey, Michael, this is Scott. Hey, Scott, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you this evening? Uh, not too bad. With me is Miles. Hi, Mike. It's nice to meet you. Hey, Miles. Yeah. Great to meet you, too. Yeah. Well, we actually we actually found out about you. Well, we've, we've watched the Starship Farragut productions for oh, quite some time here. Miles uh-huh. has been a fan for a couple years now. I actually met you um, probably back in 2006 at a, a Farpoint convention. I think it was when you guys were 
you know, getting started with your project. Um, yep. So well, that was cool. Yeah, it was, it was funny. Uh, John Broughton from uh, Farragut was just at the uh, creation convention in uh, New Jersey, and he got a opportunity to sit down with uh, Richard Arnold, who was uh, Gene Roddenberry's assistant for uh, so many years. Oh, wow. And he just asked him a couple, uh, you know, just a couple questions. And the interview ended up lasting an hour long, and he's trying to make it only four minutes. So I, I know, <laughs> I know that he's going to have some trouble uh, editing and, and everything. But uh, yeah, it was uh, some good information. He and I uh, like talking a little bit about his blog. Uh, it's mycaptainslog dot com or something like yeah. that. I get on. Yeah, but something that John just started recently. He's getting into the twenty twenty first century now with, yeah. uh, with the captain's blog. So it's. Uh, it's pretty interesting, but I've I've met Richard Arnold in the past uh, down in uh, California, and he's a great guy. Always has a fantastic story about how things, uh, you know, on Star Trek ended up turning into reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, great. Well, we want to get a little bit more information about your interest in Star Trek, your interest in sci-fi, in just a little bit. Why don't we start off okay. by uh, talking a little bit about how did you get into animation, and tell us a little bit, maybe in the process about. Uh, how Neo FX kind of got formed. Okay, well, uh, Neo FX has been around since uh, 2003 uh, as a just an animation company that does a lot of things like you know, simple things like logos, things that are the kind of the bread and butter of an animator. A lot of people don't get to work on full length movies and features and things like that, so you end up having to make your bread and butter from you know, editing wedding videos and putting text on wedding videos and then expanding to that to training videos and things like that. And we were always interested in doing uh, uh, not only visual effects for movies, but also for uh, Star Trek in particular, just because we're huge fans. And, uh, you know, this is not like uh, when you're going out and looking for a job where you start doing the job for free and then somebody goes and discovers you, and then you get hired. Unfortunately, in the visual effects industry, that's kind of how you have to do it. You have to kind of prove your wares before you can actually do things uh, that are a little bit higher caliber. So what we ended up doing is just a kind of as a proof of concept. This is about uh, 2003 when, uh, you know, there was rumblings in Paramount about there being a remaster of the, uh, the original Star Trek. So what we did is we took a, an episode, very similar to what a, a lot of people had done before us, and took an episode, this one happened to be Space Seed, and redid the visual effects on them, cut out everything that had to do with 1960s uh, special effects, and put in new CGI. And then in, also in the, in the interim, since editing and, and storytelling has changed in the last few years, we ended up re-editing the whole episode, adding a little few extra parts that went along with uh, you know, uh, the Wrath of Khan. And then just start sending that out to everybody. You know, it was a labor of love type project. And uh, we ended up sending it, uh, ironically, to the people who were doing the visual effects for uh, Enterprise at that time. Uh, that's Eden. That would be Eden FX down in uh, California. Okay. But, uh, you know, they had already heard the rumblings that, you know, the Star Trek wasn't going to be on TV forever. So, uh, but we kept doing it. We kept refining our, our product. And then we started uh, seeing things on the internet start popping up, uh, like Star Trek New Voyages. And uh, I actually sent an email to the director at the time, uh, Jack Marshall, and you know he invited me out to see what they were doing out there in uh, Ticonderoga, New York. And I went out there and I was blown away by, you know, standing on the bridge of the Enterprise and, uh, you know, I came to find out that their, that their special effects artist was, you know, this, this pseudonym of Max Rim, who ended up being Doug Drexler. Uh, so, and he was one of the, the, the visual effects artists that had worked on some of the previous episodes of uh, Star Trek, you know, Next Generation, uh, Deep Space Nine, things like that. And they were pretty impressed with my work. Unfortunately, with already having a visual effects artist, they had uh, no need for uh, any other additional help, at least at that time. But at that exact same time, there was a person uh, named Paul Sieber who was working with New Voyages, and he had uh, had an inkling of starting a new ship very similar to uh, the Enterprise, and they were going to call it the Farragut. So... Uh, Jack Marshall shared our uh, quote-unquote demo reel, which has just ended up being uh, you know space seed with new special effects, 
And Paul immediately gave us a call, and then that's how basically Star Trek Fair, uh, Starship Ferry had started, was with us providing, uh, you know, the visual effects for it. And then we got more into, uh, you know, helping them edit it, uh, you know, flesh out stories a little bit more. And they, in turn, helped us with developing what they wanted their look of, uh, of their 23rd century to look like. Hmm. Now, it uh, now their 23rd century obviously models pretty closely or uh, aligns pretty closely to the original Trek. Is that correct? Uh, it, for the most part. Uh, what we like to consider it is if... if uh, uh, you know, if Star Trek had been done today, you know, not uh, not to bring in J.J. Abrams' Trek or anything, but if the if the the blueprint was already there, how would it look today if they use conventional special effects? And and what it ends up looking like is a lot like what Next Generation, Voyager, and Enterprise end up looking like. And uh, as you know, chance would have it, we actually use the same software that the companies that did the special effects for those television programs. Uh, Used so we were using we're using the exact same thing so we were able to get a very similar look at it with the you know a primary uh, light you know in space somewhere with star fields and kind of the more of the shadowing as opposed to the 1960s thing where everything was kind of brightly lit and oversaturated. Hmm. Yeah. I, I take it more like what the the Star Trek the motion picture looked like in that they went for almost hyper realism in some of their uh, lighting shots to where it was almost too dark. Uh, we kind of mirror that with it being space and it's dark, but we've gotten to balance that with some of the fundamentals from TOS, which are kind of, you know, you get to see some of the detail of the ship. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, so I guess it'd be safe to say you would definitely describe yourself as a sci-fi fan. Right, right. And, you know, nobody gets into special effects, at least doing special effects for uh for things like Star Trek or without, you know, referencing back to when they were a kid and, and seeing this stuff on television and, and just wishing they could be a part of it. And in some small way, we were because we ended up, you know, catching the eye of some of the producers of uh, things that end up being more like real Trek, like uh, Star Trek of Gods and Men, right. which had some of the original Trek uh, actors. And, and there was a surreal moment when I, uh, when I first got the assignment, I was working on a phaser shot. And sitting there, you know, in front of me on my computer screen was Walter Koenig. And I thought to myself, for just a moment, it's like, I'll be damned. I'm working on real Star Trek, finally. <laughs> I'll bet. Oh, wow. I'll bet. Now, now for Of Gods and Men, did you do uh, most of the effects? Did NeoFX do all the, effect, the effects of Of Gods and Men or just some of them? No, we actually came in uh, late in the game. We, were, uh, we had been given a preliminary script uh long before the project ever started and it's not so much that we passed on it but it was just something that seemed like it was more of a of a pie in the sky it, there were a lot of changes from the initial script to where they ended up shooting uh they went through a lot of writers and uh producers uh, we came in at about act 2 so everything beyond act 2 uh that has to do with uh phaser fire the morphing effect by their uh, by one of their characters, and the 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 bright eyes of uh, Gary Mitchell were all done by us. Okay. okay. The CGI for the ships and everything else was already established. And while we could have done that, you, the the cardinal rule of a movie is consistency. So they wanted consistency throughout the uh, the entire episode. And up until Act Two, they had not had any phaser effects bright eyes or any morphing effects. So that all happened in Act 2, so they were, they were confident that uh, bringing somebody else new in wouldn't uh, mess with, their, with their, uh, their production pipeline. Yeah, and to keep, it, to keep a continuation as far as the style of effects and everything, it kind of allowed that Correct. to happen. So. Yeah, there have been people who, who you know, say that they love the visual effects. There's some people who, who don't, did not like, especially the, uh, the Starship models. And, you know, as being a CGI guy, I could notice you know, right off the bat that there were a lot of different people working on this because the style did intermittently change. However, there is a certain consistency that goes out throughout the whole, uh, throughout the whole film, and whether you agree with it or not, at least they, they kept their cardinal rule of keeping things relatively consistent. Now, when you work on a project like Star Trek of Gods and Men, is it just, mm -hmm. is it just you? Do you have a team of people helping you? I mean, how, how big of a group is NeoFX? Well, 
it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, you'll ask it, you know, you know, a lot of times you'll ask what how many people are at ILM or you know how many people are eating FX, and there's always a core set of people that are there, the management, uh, the people that run the the show. Uh, behind the scenes, the sales folks, uh, but then the animators, you know, they, they, they can grow and shrink based on how many projects they have in, in their pipeline. And if you take that model and you shrink it down to, uh, you know, some people who do what we do, you know, we, we have the exact same thing. It's not that we have a constant staff of animators, but we have a, a pool of animators that we can draw from depending on the size of the project. And everybody works freelance in, in the visual effects industry pretty much without uh, exception. So you are technically the only employee of NeoFX? Uh, technically, yes. Technically, <laughs> yes. With a bunch of other people helping you out. So. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, you know, and then nobody, you know, uh, nobody works for free. So it, it's, it, it, it's up to me, basically, to bring in the work and then pool it out as I see fit uh, or as necessity uh, dictates on, you know, just how much we have to do. Has... Um has doing Starship Farragut helped you get you know some other jobs? Um, now that now people take notice of Starship Farragut, has that maybe given you some business? You know, it, you know it has, and it, it's kind of uh, it's almost like what Leonard Nimoy uh, you know will will tell a story about is he'll he'll talk about how he ended up being typecast as Spock for a long time, and he actually wrote a few books that actually dealt with him not being Spock, and then him coming to a, a final realization that. At the end of the day, he developed that character. Spock is him, and he is Spock. And in the same way, we've come through that same progression with Neo FX. Is that while we don't want to be known as the the guys who will do, uh, you know, just Starship Farragut, Starship this, you know, Fair Exeter, Gods of Men, uh, what it comes down to is that we're really good at that, and that has allowed us to do other things that have built upon it. For example. Uh, talking about a progression of, a, of events, you know, one thing leading to another. Uh, so I worked on Gods of Men with Jack Trevino. This is almost like the uh, the Oracle of Bacon. You know, everybody's related to, to Kevin Bacon in some ways. Right. So I, uh, you know, I worked on Gods of Men with Jack Trevino, who was a uh, a writer on Deep Space Nine, which starred Chase Masterson, who was also in uh, of Gods and Men, who now is part of our animated episodes, but she also produced a movie uh, called uh, Yesterday Was a Lie, which we also worked on. <laughs> right, I saw that on your site. It, now, is that, movie, yeah. is that movie out yet? What happened is, is that was that's almost like a, uh, I don't know, the director will probably shoot me for saying this, but it, it, <laughs> it, that's kind of uh, almost like a fan film as it is but it had potential to be something else. It wasn't something that had a subject matter that was licensed and copyrighted by Paramount or anything. It was an original idea. But again, going back to the whole concept of you have to do things for free first and then get noticed in, in this industry as opposed to you know, somebody taking a chance on you. What happened is that this director, uh, producer, uh, wrote this movie, and he ended up you know, funding it himself and bringing in a couple investors with the hopes that it would be picked up by a distributor. And I don't think I'm, I, he actually released some information saying that he finally got a distributor. So everybody who worked on it, uh, you know, as a favor, as it were, or a volunteer, uh, you know, we all signed contracts on where we can get paid now because he has a distributor and has the money to uh, recoup his costs. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind a of very, cool. very interesting movie. Yeah, it is. A, it's a very interesting movie. And, and you'd be surprised on who's in that. I mean, uh, I was, watching some of the, the, the footage of it, and I noticed this guy that looked vaguely familiar to me, and I looked through the credits, and lo and behold, it's the guy who played Chewbacca on Star Wars. Oh, Peter, Peter Mayhew. Matthews. Peter Mayhew. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. That's so, a- yeah, there's a... Yeah, it, and again, it's a small world type thing, uh, but it, it's, it's kind of neat to be able to look back and say, hey, I worked with the guy who played Chewbacca on Star Wars, <laughs> even though you know I've never met the guy or anything, but... You know, who would have thought, you know, four or five years ago that I would have, you know, like Tim Russ and Chase Masterson's phone numbers in my in my uh, in my phone to give him <laughs> a call if I wanted to. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's kind of cool. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Exciting. Now, uh, we, we we kind of touched on this briefly and then kind of moved on from it, but let's. I want to delve into this a little bit more. You said that you obviously were influenced uh, by sci-fi as a young kid. What was the sci-fi that 
that kind of gripped you, that kind of drew you into the world of science fiction? What were some of the shows uh, that, that kind of did, did that for you? Well, basically, basically anything that had to do with uh, with science fiction. Obviously, Star Trek is is right there on top of of things. Uh, you know, I was born in the '60s, so there's uh, there are a few things to go off of. You know, the things that I do remember, and then you get into the Space 1999, uh, the original Battlestar Galactica, and then you get into the time frame of Star Wars, and uh, you know. Uh, all kinds of, of good things. I think Star Trek, yeah, 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 as much as a cliche as it sounds, it was really my biggest motivation to do things. I mean, I don't know of any kid at that time that didn't enjoy science fiction that didn't go and dress him up, himself up like Spock or, or uh, you know, the captain or something like that and pretend that they had a bridge or something in their basement. Uh-huh. And so uh, do I dare ask what character you dressed up as? <laughs> Oh, I, I'm I'm tall, thin, and have bl- dark hair. So I'll let you, I'll let you <laughs> make the guess. Oh man, I man. couldn't I couldn't possibly imagine. Man, I'm struggling here. I am. <laughs> I'm really. You're making me work. <laughs> but you probably ran the science station or something, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But well, I, you know, I, and you know, I didn't get overly into it to where I was. Uh, I had my dad build me some wood props, if that means anything. I didn't build a, a you know science station or anything else like that. But I do. Uh, recall, unfortunately, there's no pictures of it. My mother putting some kind of eye makeup on me so that I'd have the the, the pointed eyebrows and, and things. But uh, <laughs> like I said, that that's not the that's not the cover of my Facebook page. No, so that's no, good. No, no. And thankfully, there's no evidence of that. So exactly, except, except for except, except for this show. So now, no. yeah, and and you and you have a huge uh, listenership, right? Right, so, right, right, uh, right, right, right. So everyone will know. <laughs> But you are, I mean, if I understand, if I heard correctly, you're going to be putting on some makeup again. Um, is it true you, you'll be playing a character of, of Thalen for uh, uh, Starship Farragut for their, for, for their next um, live action episode? Yeah, yeah, that's a kind of a nasty rumor. Did John tell you that? Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll never tell. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the fourth type of communication method outside of the internet is tell John, right? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> oh, we love well, John dearly, but yeah, yeah. That, that's a, that's an interesting concept. I, uh, you know, that goes back to the the whole animated episodes that we're doing that are that are based off of filmation. Um, there, ironically, Phelan was just a, a you know a one time a one use character, which was kind of strange for filmation just in itself because. Uh, filmation was all about recycling. Uh, even before you know the Earth turned green and everything, they were all about reusing things over and over and over and over again. Uh, but it was ironic that uh, that Thalen was only used once. And uh, you know, the, I don't know why it is, but I, I kind of felt that that character needed a little bit more of a of a background. And when I was going to do the animated episodes, uh, you know, I had a, I had that character in mind. You know, very similar to that that red character, Eric's, that was on the bridge of the Enterprise. They never did explain number one where Chekhov was, but they never also explained what the background of this character was. He was just there one day, and so I thought that would be kind of uh, interesting since uh, Farragut didn't have any sort of uh, didn't have any sort of aliens, uh, you know, on their on their bridge, and that's for obviously practical reasons, just because it you know costs money to to purchase makeup and apply it and everything else. So, But I thought that Thalen would be an interesting character, and that that would work well with Star Trek canon, which seems to be the big thing that fans really want to, uh, you know, for anything to adhere to is the canon. Uh, you know, Phase 2 ended up killing Chekhov in one of their episodes, and they got nothing but grief for it, I even though that. the story was <laughs> relatively, relatively decent. So fans love canon. So there's nothing in canon that forbids Phelan to be in there. And I think with J.J. Abrams' movie out, I think that's the big important thing is not so much following canon as making sure that canon doesn't deny what you're putting on the screen. Mm-hmm. So in that same way, Phelan is uh, you know, a character that you know, is on the surrogate. Why? Well, we don't really go into it, uh, but what it comes down to is that when he was shown in the original animated episodes, he was in an alternate timeline because Kirk and Spock had messed up the timeline and, you know, there was an alternate reality uh, created. So when they fixed the reality, Thalen's gone. Well, the theory would have it that that Thalen had to have existed somewhere and a certain set of events put him on the Enterprise. Well, 
with the original timeline fixed, probably some of that stuff still happened in the alternate timeline or in the in the original timeline. But Thalen didn't get to go there. Why not put him on the Farragut? Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so uh, we ended up you know brainstorming a little bit about it. You know, got the buy-in from the uh, uh, the Farragut folks, and then it came time to figure out who would voice that character. And this is before we cast anybody, but I knew that that character had to be on the bridge of the uh, of the Farragut. So I started looking, and I looked back at the original. It was voiced by James Doohan, who ended up doing practically all the voices that were not the main characters on the uh, on the original animated episode. And I thought to myself, well, it's a shame that uh, James Doohan isn't around. And then I, you know, it kind of just dawned on me. It's like, why don't I talk to his son? Find out what he was, uh, what he's doing these days. You know, got in touch with him. And, uh, you know, he agreed. He does a dead-on impression of his dad doing an impression of Scotty, if that means anything. <laughs> but he also does a pretty mean, uh, mean Thalen, too. And I don't mean uh, violent, but I mean a very dead-on impersonation of what his dad did for that character. Hmm. So we, uh, we developed that, and he, he did a fantastic job, I have to say, on, uh, on doing what his dad did. Uh, but then we started talking about, you know, in the Farragut about doing it for a live action uh, type thing and what that would take. So, you know, being in the quote unquote entertainment industry now, I actually know a few makeup artists. So I had a, uh, I, you know, just as almost a, as a, as a lark, uh, had a set of uh, antenna and uh, a wig made up. And then it started going on and on and on about, well, let's, let's see if Chris would be willing to do a live action version. And he lives on the West Coast, Farragut's on the East Coast, so he really wasn't really interested in doing a, you know, a traveling thing like a lot of the Phase 2 folks were doing. And somebody suggested that I do it. And we've been tinkering with the idea, and I think that it might actually work. <laughs> um, I'm by no means an actor. <laughs> right. Uh, but if you if you look at a lot of the the fan stuff, a lot of these guys aren't actors, and they you know they find their their voice, and it is what it is. And you know maybe maybe I can do it, maybe I can't. I don't know. I you never know until you try. So right. I think we might give it a I think we might actually give it a try and see what it's like. And you know if anything, I can I can take the original stuff out and put CGI in if it ends up being looking terrible. Right, right, right. <laughs> but you'll be bringing the first alien crew member on Farragut, so that that, that that's cool. Correct, correct. I mean, yeah, they always had Spock on the Enterprise, which is kind of a few, you know, with ears and, you know, eye makeup and there's your alien. I think this one would be a little least a little bit more interesting. Right. It wouldn't be the first time that, uh, you know, an Andorian would have been on the bridge. Uh, as everyone knows, Exeter, another fan film, also has uh, a character called Bafuzlak, who is, uh, you know, on the bridge as a communications officer. Right. I, I, I'm familiar with Exeter. Yeah. Well, you know... I- I'm sure it's going to be a great experience for you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in that role, and uh, at least uh, seeing you try that role. So, yeah, so it'll, it'll be, be interesting. And unfortunately, it's not it's not the captain or uh, you know first officer. So I'd be a, I would almost demand that I would be a supplementary character. That nothing be you know a story based on me. I wouldn't have number one the, the time to do it like that. But I right. don't. You know, I, I, I'm a very humble person when it comes to my acting ability because I know that I don't have any. Uh, acting experience, so I'm not willing to put myself out there in that fashion. I know that I can do the visual effects in the background, and I really wouldn't want to distract from that. But it might be, you know, like I said, fun as a lark to do, to kind of do it. Oh, and you're a fan of the you're you're, you're a fan of the genre, so and that, yeah, exactly. that, oh, yeah. that plays into it. So and who who would not right. mean a fan of the genre would not want to be on an episode of Star Trek? I mean, that's you know every fanboy's dream. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you get you get to live out your uh, this whole you know fantasy that you have as kids being on a Star Trek episode. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's something that's been, something to be said for that. Right. Well, right. We've been talking a lot about the animation part of it. Now, the way that you we saw part one and part two just hit the internet. Uh, what this past week is that correct? Of the animated episode, yeah. Yeah, and then, and we have a part three that we're waiting for. Is that correct? Correct, and yeah. the part three should be out by the end of this uh, this month, being August. Okay, well, we're gonna this interview will probably air next week, so hopefully, we'll be in anticipation of that. But let's. Um, okay. I want to talk a little bit about the style of animation and and what you were looking back to, and 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 how closely you tried to replicate the original uh, animated series of Star Trek. Can you talk a little bit about okay. that? 
Absolutely. Well, let, let's let's go back and talk a little bit about the the original animated uh, Star Trek because I think that has a lot of parallels to uh, what we did. As everyone knows, you know, Star Trek was on TV from what 1966 to 1969, three years. Um, it, it developed quite a fan base. One of the big uh, let's call it complaints that that people had about it is that there wasn't a lot of money. Uh, network TV is never about you know doing it for the love of it. It's for selling commercials and you know selling soap and body odor deodorant or whatever. <laughs> but they didn't have a lot of money at that time, uh, and there was a lot of. But it was good science fiction. There were a lot of people who wanted to see it continue. Uh, they brought it back as a Saturday morning cartoon. It ended up being developed by a company called Filmation in uh, Southern California there. And Paramount obviously endorsed it. Uh, Gene Roddenberry was involved, but it was more of a Filmation uh, venture. And uh, one, of the, one of the guys who uh, started Filmation, uh, you know, uh, Lou Scheimer, none of these guys were fans. So you'll, you'll notice that in some of the animation that they do, people's ranks change. You know, Star Trek fans obviously notice these things. Ranks change, the color of their uniform change. Suddenly Spock has six fingers as opposed to five. Little things like that. Uh, however, what they did do, and I think it's one of the bigger successes of uh, the original animated episodes, were that they didn't scrimp on the stories. They brought back a lot of the same writers, uh, DC Fontaine uh, was ended up being a uh, editor, uh, I think, of the of the animated episodes, uh, and she was really big. She wrote some of the the more famous, uh, you know, original Star Trek episodes. So there were a lot of people who submitted stories, including Walter Koenig, who didn't get to appear on the animated episodes. Well, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Michael from the OFX. You're going to hear the second part of the interview next week. We appreciate you living, listening to the show. We have more news and information and video clips and many other things you can find on our website at sci-fi-diner.com. And if you visit those show notes, it'll tell you more and more than anything that you want to know. And what else do we have there at our site? Well, we have our forums. And right. uh, it's a good chance for... You, the listeners, to interact with each other, with us, tell you know, talk about what, what we're watching, what's what's really cool out there. So I need um, to update them better. I'm not a very faithful forum user right now, so um, I need to get in the habit. Yeah, but uh, so. it's a great place to meet, and let's talk about our favorite sci-fi. If you are a podcaster and you podcast somewhere in the realm of science fiction, fantasy, or something geeky like that, let us know. We want, to, and if you have a promo, we want to play that. You'll heard two promos during the show. And uh, we like to promote our uh, fellow podcasters and mm-hmm. what they're doing out there because we listen to more podcasts than just our own, that's for sure. Uh, absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of good ones out there. And one that I would recommend, Slice of Sci-Fi this week, second part of that Michael Hogan interview. I'll definitely want really to good. Really good. It was a really good, really good interview. You can always find us on Twitter. I'm Herzog, like I said earlier, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G. And I'm at Son of Wharf. Yep. Uh, don't forget that the DVDs we mentioned earlier you can find on our store, My Sci-Fi Store. Great place to... Get stuff at a great discount and benefit the show as well. Mm-hmm. You can uh, email us at zogpod, Z-O-G-P-O-D, at gmail.com. And our phone number, 188-508-4343. I got memorized, finally. That's all it is. Uh, yeah, that's a lot it. So uh, let's go watch Warehouse 13 tonight. All right. All right, that's it. We'll catch you later. Till then, good night and good night.